0: This is the Views from the Booth podcast, your reference
1: guide into the world of sports broadcasting. Here's your hosts, J.J. Duke and
0: Joe Vasile. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Views from the Booth. J.J. and Joe here with you. Hope everybody is doing well out there. Hope your week has started off nicely as it has for us. Um, last week, in fact, was a extremely busy week for views from the booth as it's been a little while since we've done a two for one, a little two episode in one week uh, effort, if you will. So if you missed both of our shows last week, um, we give you kind of the cliff notes, if you will. Um, in our first episode, we chatted about bad broadcasting habits and within that, how those habits are developed, how they can hurt you both in the short and long term run and ways that you can overcome them. And I think there was a lot of real good things that came from that episode because not only were Joe and I are talking about some specific things that we usually see on air, but things that we had to overcome on our own right. Just again, showing that like you all at home, we all make mistakes, we're human, but we find ways to better ourselves. So hopefully you can take something from that episode. And in our second show we brought back, we revived the Broadcaster Spotlight series. Where we had an opportunity to uh, sit down with Emma Tiedemann, the current voice of the Portland Sea Dogs. Um, and in that episode, we talked about her career and all the stops that she has made um, in both just baseball broadcasting and broadcasting in general. And more importantly, I think the one that a lot of us enjoyed, Joe, was the influence that her grandfather had on her craft, whether it's getting a phone call the next morning or the middle of the night for notes from a call that she did the evening before just someone that you could base off to and I know that was something that our viewers and listeners really enjoyed listening to
1: yeah and I think it really underscores I mean obviously one just the importance of family Um, but also it underscores the importance of having someone like that in your own career obviously it doesn't have to be your your grandfather can be a friend, it could be someone in the industry, it could be somebody out of the industry, but just someone to be there and um and support you and give you that encouragement and that tough love when you need it to say, Hey, you need to do x y z better um I think if you look at anybody who's successful in this business they they all have someone like that who really pushed them early and often to be the best that they could be um and it was just so great to hear. You know Emma's story of that person being her grandfather, believing in her abilities.
0: Yeah. So if you want to take a listen to that episode or the one about bad broadcasting habits, you can download those now. Uh, Subscribe where you can on views from the booth. If we haven't hit your favorite podcast platform, just let us know and we'll take care of that for you. But before we dive into this week's show, we got another podcast to talk about. It's not (laughs) Our own podcast, and we're not doing a two for one. That would that would be pretty crazy, but you never know; might come down the road. But Joe has mentioned in a, a couple of our previous shows that he's been working on another project, uh, kind of a documentary-based podcast, if you will, called the Secondary Lead. And by the time that you're listening to this episode, the first episode of his podcast will be live. So, Joe, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Secondary Lead? Yeah.
1: So it is a 30 for 30 style, uh, podcast series. Um, and the idea is that it will be something that continuously runs. Um, but it's on topics in baseball history and, um, kind of bringing some of the lesser known stories to life. Um, so the first season is the rise and fall of Ken Caminiti. Um, for those who don't know Ken Caminiti, or maybe just know a little bit about him, um, Great baseball player from 1987 to 2001 played right during the steroid era. Won the National League MVP in 1996, uh, and then in 2002 became the first player to come out and admit that they used steroids on the record, and was very open about it. Was very honest about it, um, and really, his admission was what really launched baseball to get serious about steroid testing and, and kind of forced uh, baseball's hand to act and, and kind of showed just how big of a problem steroids had become by that point in the game. Um, but outside of that, I, that's the part that people know. Um, what people don't know is what he was like off the field. Like he had this just scary demeanor on the field and yet was the biggest softie off um, just a, devoted family man, loved by anyone who was ever his teammate. Uh, I mean, I heard so many former big league players as I was interviewing them cry while talking about him um, because they loved him so much. And uh, he had some, some demons for sure, um, which ultimately claimed his life far too young. Um, but really, this is a show about what was this guy's life? Um, and kind of remembering it for, for what it was. And, and I think that it's an extraordinary story that nobody has told. I have figured out why no one's told it before, cause it's really hard. Uh, and there's a lot of missing pieces that I'll just never have the answer to. Um, and I admit that. Um, but it's still something that obviously I found worthwhile, uh, in putting out and, Boy, I sure hope uh that everyone listening to this gives it gives it a shot if uh if you haven't listened to it already. And I think you'll enjoy it if you like a fun story. You don't even have to be a baseball fan. I mean, it's everyone liked Tiger King. Not everyone was a big Tiger fan, not everyone was a zoo enthusiast. Um but you liked it because it was a really good story. Now it's not that crazy, um, but it's it's very interesting. It, it blends the Westminster Kennel Club dog show with Hell's Angels riots, um, with the World Series, with Jose Canseco. It's just, he's like a Forrest Gump where he just shows up in these random areas um, that end up being very important. Um, so it's, it's kind of that story and, uh, and the story of baseball, in the time frame that he played through the lens of the story of this
0: one player. So make sure for those at home, if you haven't already in Joe, it, basically the podcast secondary lead's going to be available similar to this one everywhere you get your podcast, right?
1: Yep. Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, uh, throwing some stuff up on YouTube as well. So I recommend you subscribe everywhere you can. Um, I, need to, I need to get the numbers up uh, here to start, but no, uh, in all seriousness, uh, I do appreciate uh, anyone who, who gives it a chance and um, likes it and then subscribes and rates and reviews and does the whole nine yards. It was you know, a lot of work to put together, but it was very rewarding um, and a, a great experience. And I hope that it has its intended effect on people.
0: And also you can make sure to uh, follow uh, the secondary lead podcast at secondary lead on Twitter as well. So make sure to go give it a follow over there. Um, so good stuff, Joe. I've listened to the first episode already. Appreciate the fact that you gave me a shout to have a listen before it came out. And I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the series unfold. Um, it, it's a great story and definitely one that needed to be told. Um so this week's episode, kind of pandering back a little bit to what we're going to be heading up for this week, it's one that Joe and I talked early on uh, in kind of diving into what topics that we want. I know I almost preface every show by saying that, but this was one of the very early ones held back onto it for a number of different reasons, but felt like this was the right time now, as the time that we're recording this episode is about midway through the month of October in the year 2020, where Some sports are coming back and a lot of those actually being the high school level sports. Some states unfortunately don't have fall sports going on. Some are at a kind of condensed level. Some are gradually integrated and some have went full out. But the reason why we're doing this, you've heard a lot of how we talk about our college work or work in college sports work in professional sports. Well, high school, is a big place where broadcasters not only get their start, but is also a place where they kind of make it their own. Because let's face it, you have Texas high school football, Indiana high school basketball, Minnesota state hockey, everywhere down South is playing baseball somewhere. So you got all these sports that get so much attention and the need for showing these games either over web stream on television, on radio, so massive such a great opportunity and I think it's one that we can really dive into and not only diving into those levels but also the differences that they have between high school collegiate athletics professional sports what are some of the difficulties that you find in broadcasting all these levels and ways that you can also maybe climb the ladder up yourself if you've been working in high school sports for a while and you want to make that jump How can you do it? And we're also going to be joined a little bit later on uh, by a gentleman that both Joe and I know very well, someone that has successfully climbed that ladder in his own right, and still diving back and forth in and amongst the ranks. Uh, His name is Mike Samsel, who's based in the state of Pennsylvania, and um, he's going to be someone that we'll talk to in just a little bit. But before that, Joe, I know this is actually hitting recently for you because you've had the opportunity to call some games at the high school level. Uh, unfortunately because of no collegiate sports so for you very recently in the terms that you've been sticking with college and pro mostly all the time now going to high school what sort of challenges have you faced over the last couple of weeks in calling games
1: well i think the biggest thing is and this is this is obvious to you know anyone who's worked at all these levels it's the information gap um college and pro it is so easy to just go onto the internet and get a roster that you know is going to be right Uh, with high school sports, that's a lot more difficult. Um, And that's not even to start talking about stats or anything like that. Uh, Now, a lot of places still have very good high school sports coverage locally, but one of the main sources of that used to be newspapers. And as we all know, the local newspapers are not what they used to be. There are a lot of cutoffs, a lot of layoffs. And when you go to one of these websites, there's not gonna be as many articles written about the teams that you're gonna get ready to cover. Um, So it becomes a lot harder to find that information. Um, It exists, you can get there, you can find the coach, and email the coach directly, which is a big difference. That's something you don't do in the college level or the pro level. You go through the SID or the the PR person for the team or the school. In high school, you just, you go right to the coach. Um, Because if you send an email to the AD, they're just going to forward it to the coach if they even bother to do that much, Um, nine times out of 10. Um, So that's the biggest difference for me. Um, And then obviously there's the there's the skill gap. Uh, the game is a lot slower, no matter what game you're at, it's a lot slower paced than it is at upper levels, which makes it somewhat easier to call, uh, quite frankly. The rosters generally are smaller, so there's fewer players to memorize, which means you, if you can, can get more in depth on each individual player. but also, if you're calling a high school football game, the guy who's the quarterback probably going to be playing on the defensive side or the running back is going to be a linebacker and the lineman. I bet you they're going to be the defensive lineman as well. So you're going to get to know names and numbers really quick. And if you don't have them completely set to memory before the game, um, which is obviously what you try to do, you're going to have it set really early on in the game because it's going to be the same people. Um, so for me that that's the biggest difference is the information gap um that you almost take it for granted um at the college and pro level um you just have to do a little more um elbow grease um and and kind of hard work to dig it up at the high school level it exists it's out there teams all keep stats coaches will say that they don't keep stats that's a lie they have stats um if There's a coach out there that doesn't have stats for their team in 2020, they're not gonna be a coach for long. That's just the reality of the situation. If their school cares about winning, which maybe not all do, like that's fine. They're high schools, they should care more about academics than winning football games. Um, but especially if they're teachers, um, but uh, that is to say, the information's out there, uh, you can get it. It's just a lot harder to do it. And it helps you build skills um, in going after that information that are going to serve you well as you do climb up the ladder and, and move, if that's your goal, move up into college or into pro broadcasting.
0: A couple of the big takeaways from that, and first on the statistics side of things. Now, Joe is working high school games currently. That, this is the way that I kind of got started was working high school sports when I was in college uh, down in central New Jersey called games then did a little bit up here back home in Connecticut and yeah the statistics whether it's the in-game stuff which at the college level and Joe said already you really don't have to work hard to find the information at the upper level because it's all there and usually almost always every place has some sort of a live statistics where you can go on and all that information is available you're keeping your own book in most times you're probably creating your own score stat charts doing high school football i had different pages for different things quarterbacks receivers running backs and then any major defensive plays i'm not going down for TFLs unless I really had the time to do so I had a very good spotter but um, basketball you're almost better off buying one of those score books that they keep at the table because then it's just Mm -hmm. straightforward you can knock down the twos threes if you want to put zeros for misses great Uh, but all that stuff kind of has to be done on your own now fortunately and this even goes back to when we were in high school in the statistics side there are websites that do sometimes keep a stats max preps usually being one of them but one of the things that you'll find is you do find misnomers in there and sometimes very big gaps because some things are being reported while others are not and some are also being reported a little bit too um shall we say graded on the curve perhaps um maybe up there just a little bit so that's where you have to have that kind of give and take but the one that i found the most interesting out of all of it, and joe's talking about the pace of play this is where, as a broadcaster, you can really come into your own in not only filling airtime, coming up with good stories, but also understanding who your audience are. Now, granted, high school and college, to some extent, you're getting a lot of the same family, friends, far-distance relatives, and then some, you know local people that are definitely interested in the games. But at the local level, you know, the way that you kind of talk about the game, this is kind of the things that when I was younger working actually with Mike, and we'll get to that in a little bit, was just kind of, I don't want to say toning down some aspects, but you're leaving the hard analysis sometimes at home that you may bring out at another level game. Now don't take this as we're dumbing it down, but we're talking as if we're talking to directly to the parents that are watching or directly to the people watching as opposed to going into sabermetrics where most people still don't understand with all due respect to that it's it's the thing that I kind of finds so interesting but in the long stretch it will help you because you're going to learn how to have both ends of the spectrum be analytic keep it simple yeah um
1: it's a good point that you bring up about knowing your audience uh when you're doing these games and and kind of realizing what your audience is going to be but I'll also kind of tack this onto it Um, and this is where the ego of the sportscaster comes into play Um, I guarantee you guarantee you unless you are calling for an FBS football program or a school that's in a power five or a group of five conference you're going to have more listeners on a high school broadcast than you are on a college broadcast. And that is just going to be a fact. So while it might be nice for you to say that you're a college broadcaster, you also have to realize that more people are going to care about the Friday night high school football game than they are about the division two, II, division three, or even small time FCS, uh, small time in air quotes FCS football game that you're calling. So, I mean, and you, all you have to do for evidence of that is one, look in the stands when you're there. High school football games, no matter where they are, are always packed. They're packed. The teams could be terrible. The stands are packed because the community cares. These are parents, these are friends, these are students that are going there before they go to whoever's house for the party afterwards. Um, We were all in high school at one point. We know that's what happens. Uh, You know, so people care about this. And, And from a radio station standpoint or a TV station standpoint, people who are going to advertise care more about high school sports and advertising on those broadcasts than they do about advertising on the local small college because they know that more people care. and. They wanna be shown as supporting Paramus High School or whoever, like they wanna be a part of that. So you have to realize that one, there's a big incentive for radio stations to cover high school games over college games, which is one of the reasons why there are so many more opportunities to go to very, very small towns and call high school games. Um, and why that is such a great opportunity than there are to go do that in college games because there's actually money in doing high school games so don't feel like if that's what you're doing that that's not a great thing because it absolutely is um it's a it's an amazing thing for so many of those kids those games that you're calling are going to be the best memories of their lives. they may never play sports after high school again uh but they're going to remember those games and if you're streaming it it can live on forever on youtube or facebook or wherever and they can go back and watch it so and, and you you owe that to yourself to do the best job you can and you owe it to them um to do the best job you can also even with a limited amount of information um and and again i think a lot of that comes from You have to just kind of check your ego at the door and go like, man, like I was doing high school games or I was doing, you know, minor league baseball and I'm doing high school baseball. What am I doing? No, this is still a great opportunity to get some reps and um, immortalize for a group of people what can be the highlight of their high school experience or the highlight of their childhood or their entire life. So you got to take it um, and kind of hold it with the reverence that it deserves.
0: And if you're going to take anything from what Joe just said, there are no games off when you call a game. If you quote mail one in, whether it's you're tired or whether you know you've got another big game coming up, it does not matter what level the game is. Someone's going to hear about it. And if Joe's talking about, how these high school games are going to live on, someone's going to put them up on YouTube somewhere, that stays forever. And you're going to have people that will listen, oh, who is this guy calling or who is this person calling game? They sound like they could not care less. Well, you could be cool. You could be doing a couple of days later of a, like you said, division two football game. Like you would think that would have a little bit more of a priority, but in reality, sorry to knock on, but the high school game that has the entire town tuned in, whether they're at the actual game themselves will watch it back or listen to it back later, or couldn't make it. And they're watching it now. That's going to always take the precedent. So for those at home that are thinking, and Joe's absolutely right. 100%. Take every game as seriously as you get it, because then you'll never be looked down upon in one way or another. And people will think, Oh, you know, so-and-so treated my, you know, grandson's baseball game as it was game five of the world series Mm -hmm. yeah you know it might be only for that moment for you but for a lot of these people it's going to stick with them it's going to be talking points for two months down the line could be what they talk about the uh, thanksgiving night table it's yeah just that straightforward
1: i know it was like a running joke on the old tv show married with children um which even predates me but i've seen reruns of it Uh, But Al Bundy, the dad on the show, always used to talk about the time where he scored four touchdowns in the Thanksgiving football game. And, again, it's like he's middle-aged and he's, spoiler spoiler alert, married with children. Um, But that high school football game is something he still remembers. And that's – it's a joke, but it's funny because a lot of people are like that, where they – They remember those things and and like to reminisce and and bring it up and think about the time that they did something. Um, And those are very very special moments. Um, And the other thing is, we talk about the information gap part of it. You can't let that get in the way of not delivering a good broadcast. Um, If you are in a situation where all you have going into the game is a roster for both teams, and you have no other no other information because whatever reason coaches weren't cooperating, they didn't return your emails, they they were being difficult, whatever it is,
0: um, which does happen by the way, that it, happens more often than you think.
1: It absolutely will. You have to go into that game then as looking at it as an opportunity to go in and just. Focus on nailing the nuts and bolts of that game. Say, all right, I don't have stats. I don't have stories. Or maybe I only have one or two. I I don't have what I would normally have going into a game. So let me just focus on my word choice, on identifying players, on nailing the nuts and bolts of this broadcast. So I can do the best job I can do without any stats without any stories. I think if you can do that, then when you have those stats and you have those stories, it just becomes 50 times easier. It's my sincerest belief that everyone should call high school sports at some point in their career, because if you can do that well, you can call anything well. Um, And it's, it's really a great proving ground for what you're able to do as a broadcaster.
0: Well, that's a perfect segue into who we're going to bring on next because Mike Samsel uh, has really done it all in terms of calling games at the youth and high school level. And he's calling games as well in the NBA G League. So we're going to step aside for a moment. We're going to bring Mike on and we'll have a chat with him about that and a few things that he's taken along the way that helped further his career. So maybe for you at home, you can do the same as well. So stay tuned here and we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back. It's nice that we finally get to use that musical interlude means a little more editing from stage to stage but we're back here um and we're happy to join now by as we mentioned the open Mike Samsel who is someone that both Joe and I have had the opportunity to work work a lot with in fact Mike kind of broke me in a little bit in um the broadcasting sense in late college so Mike first off thanks for taking a few minutes to chat with us we appreciate it
2: yeah thanks so much for having me guys I'm,
0: I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys and it's so great to see both of you again too it has been far too long since the last time we got to catch up. And um, I know you've been a busy guy even during this quarantine period, but kind of let us know exactly you know, where you are now and how exactly you've gotten there in your broadcasting career.
2: So I really look at my broadcast career as a series of incredibly fortunate events. Um, I didn't do the traditional four-year college route. I know a lot of people did. Uh, But I was really certain that I wanted to be in this industry from a pretty young age. So the only thing I did was go to Connecticut School of Broadcasting after high school. And then I got into the business when I was about 19 years old. And one of my teachers at Connecticut School of Broadcasting gave me my first job in radio promotions at 95.9 The Rat down in the Jersey Shore. And from there, just kind of climbed the ladder. Um, This was like 2008 when I first got that job. So I had some fun doing it for about six or seven months, Uh, but then gas was $4 a gallon, and I was making $0 a gallon. Uh, So I was like, okay, I gotta figure something out here. This isn't gonna work. Uh, So I got a job at 950 ESPN at the time, which is now 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia. And worked there for a while in promotions, and that's where I kind of weaseled my way into programming. Uh, Was an intern there for a while, kept trying to get on the board op roster, but just for one reason or another never happened. Uh, so what was incredibly fortunate was I get hired at another station over here, 1340. They carried LaSalle basketball. Shout out to my boy, Steve Degler and Kale Beers. Uh, so that was like my first board oping job in radio and chatting to those guys. They loved the idea of me hosting a pregame show. Everybody was on board with it, finding some sponsors it's like all right, I'm not even 21. I'm going to be on air in Philly. I'm going to be hosting a D1 pregame show. This is awesome. And about a month before that starts, I got budget cut back. And then about two weeks after that, I got budget cut back from the fanatic. And so now all of a sudden, I'm 21, and they say you haven't officially been in radio until you've been fired, right? Well, I'm 21, and I've officially been in radio. Uh, so from there. I am fortunate to land at 1490 WBCB, which is how I met you, JJ. Um, We had so much fun there at WBCB, um, made absolutely no money whatsoever. But like that was my broadcasting masters because the general manager of WBCB is Merrill Reese. So I just get to go and sit at the learning tree of Merrill Reese for so long. And get to develop some of those relationships. Now, the other way I'm very lucky to form some relationships when I'm working in promotions, I get to know a radio engineer by the name of Pat Kineen. Uh, And I'm just a curious guy coming up saying hello to whoever, you know, I don't know him from Adam. And I go up to him and basically just say, Hey, what's all that stuff there? He's the radio engineer. Well, Little did I know, Pat is really one of the preeminent engineers in the business. And he told me, you're the first person that's ever worked in promotions who's actually come over and been curious about what that stuff is. The amount of doors that Pat was able to open for me, immeasurable. That's how I got the spotting job that I still have uh, doing NFL and college football at Compass Media Networks. I was able to work for Rutgers, work for Villanova. You know, so many of these places that I really only dreamed of going, uh, I got the opportunity to work through with him. And then in some time at BCB, um, I get to know another guy by the name of Bill Warndell. Uh, If you guys know who Bill Warndell is, worked out in San Diego. He was Philly Billy. He's also known as the Loon. Uh, Everything that he is off air or on air, he is off air too. He's a lunatic, but he's a wonderful human being. And he helped me get in with Westchester University. So that's how I got my first college broadcasting gig. So long answer to a short question, but that's kind of the, the genesis of my broadcast career.
0: And pretty much that's also <clears throat> parlayed into when we were at BCB doing high school sports, then working into college sports. And most recently, you've had an opportunity to work professional basketball as well down um, with Delaware in the G League. Yeah, it was,
2: it's was. it been such a fun ladder to climb and just such an amazing opportunity. Uh, we talked about all the fun we've had working at, you know, BCB and not really making any money. You know, we were doing high school games back at that time and how uh, JJ and I got to know each other when JJ was a senior in high school or a senior in college. I mean, uh, he was board a lot of the games on what we called at the time the WBCB Sports Network. We were on Ryder Station 1077 the Bronx. And that's how JJ and I got to know each other. And that's really where, like, as a young broadcaster, I, you don't know what you don't know, right? And I have such a great opportunity to work with Meryl Reese, but I was so focused on the performance aspect of it. And not even just the performance aspect of it, but how did my touchdown call sound? How did this sound? How did that sound? I'm not thinking am I varying my adjectives? How do I prep for a game? How am I talking to people? Things of that nature. I was so kind of unilaterally focused on the vain stuff in the business, right? And so that's kind of when I went to the next level. I had a broadcast partner that I worked with there at WBCB that was like, hey, yeah, you sound good on touchdowns. You're not doing any prep. You don't know who anyone is. Um, and he kind of booted me in the backside a little bit because Everybody's telling me how great I am. I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but that's something that's also really difficult in our business. You have a lot of people that just kind of blow smoke towards you and tell you how awesome you are. And then you have the other end of the spectrum of when you ask for a critique, people feel the need to be so overcritical that you actually feel like you're not doing anything right. So getting good critiques in our business is so difficult. I was fortunate to be able to get those between Merrill and a couple of colleagues. And that's really where I started to realize, all right, I need to form relationships with these coaches. I need to be a familiar face when I show up at the stadium with the athletic directors. Uh, I need to reach out to coaches and learn starting lineups, do some background preps, ask for stats, things of that nature. And that's kind of at BCB, that's really where I realized, you know, this business is a lot more than just the highlights
1: Yeah, and for people who maybe are not from New Jersey, Pennsylvania, don't know what WBCB is compared to the Fanatic in Philadelphia, BCB is a small, small radio station that does not have a gigantic reach. And the Fanatic is, I think right now, the number one sports station in Philadelphia, or number two sports station in Philadelphia. So for you at that point, kind of, being at a huge station and then taking that step back almost to a very small operation, just what was that like for you? Just kind of mentally to get into the idea of like, all right, I'm here and I can't think of, man, I was just at 97.5 two months ago.
2: That wasn't super easy to be honest, especially being young too. Like we're all super arrogant when we're young, right? So I'm in a vain business. I can't even legally drink yet, but here I am. I'm on air in Philadelphia. I got got this thing figured out and I knew nothing. And so going back to BCB, um, Matt Miro, who also used to work at the Fanatic, he is, uh, what is he now? He's like operations manager or something like that down at BCB. He runs BCB basically. Um, He pulled me aside. And I'll never forget the line that he told me. Um, He said to me, you don't have to redesign the house, you just need to clean up a little bit. Because I had uh, confidence issues, but not that it was a lack of confidence, right? And I was starting to to turn off some people that I was around and I got really lucky uh, that Matt cared about me enough to have that conversation with me because I mean, this business chews up and spits out people. That's another thing I'm sure you guys have talked about, just the the burnout rate and how often people get into it. And then 25 years old, you're like, huh, I used to know 10 people and now I know three. Mm-hmm. I could have been one of those people to easily fall by the wayside, but I had enough people that kind of cared about me, pulled me around and rallied me and kind of said, hey, you need to get the wheels back on here a little bit. And that's really you know, I went through some maturing in my personal life, went through some maturing in my professional life. And that's really when I feel like I went from, oh, I sound good on touchdowns to I need
0: to learn how to be a good play by play announcer. So in kind of those experiences, we're talking about having that drop. And we were talking about this before we brought you on about how the opportunity to call high school sports is such a great connection tool, because you're connecting not only with people that may not know much about the game, but know a lot about the people to also the very savvy people at the same time that know a lot about a lot of stuff, but you're trying to find that perfect connection between the community and talking about the game that's actually going on in front of you. So in those experiences and bettering yourself, what were some of the biggest takeaways for you that helped you get to where you are now? I've always
2: promised to be honest with my audience. But I think when you're talking about the difference between doing a high school community-based broadcast and then getting into college and then doing NBA G League are the ways you tell the truth, right? You have to kind of tell the truth a little bit more attractively when you're dealing with uh, some younger athletes. And I mean, you guys are talking about high school, but I've called like Babe Ruth baseball. You know, I'm calling 12, 13, 14-year-old baseball at, at times as well errors happen mistakes happen so how do you get that story across without being like he dropped the baseball like that's not the way to do it at all Um, but the one thing I've just always been focused on is what Bob Shepard former voice of the Yankees even though not a play-by-play announcer the voice of Yankee Stadium clear concise, and correct. Those are the three most important things, clear, concise, and correct. And if you've heard some of my radio broadcasts, like I think, I'm not trying to rip anyone here. I hope I don't get myself in trouble. But I think a lot of times play-by-play announcers can get into the, particularly in basketball, get into the thought process of shotgunning or in football as well, where you're just throwing a collection of words out there and so many things are being spoken so fast and it sounds so good, but is your listener actually really taking in anything you're saying? So that economy of words, getting the important details out there, but also giving your audience that second to actually be able to see in their mind what it is that I'm actually saying. Because if I'm just sitting here hurling words at you nonstop, that might sound good, but what are you actually taking in? Jeez, Mike, you can just say it's me next time. Um, no,
1: <laughs> no uh, but that's always been one of the things that, you know, working with you at Westchester for a couple of years, I love so much about your calls is you, you don't try to do that. You just go on the air and you're, you're Mike. And it feels almost so natural. Like you're not, trying to sound like this broadcaster or that broadcaster you're just trying to be who you are and and i think that that's something that again i've always admired in in your calls and and kind of plays into that people who will myself included talk a mile a minute sometimes and everything just clumps together and you don't have that that space to really um let the listeners ears rest
2: Oh, stop, stop. Uh, No, go on. Keep going. Tell me more. How about how, how awesome I am. Um, (laughs) It is uh, it's a lot to take in because you hear so many different styles, right? And I think a lot of it is being confident in who it is that you are. Um, I have had the unbelievable advantage to have Meryl Reese work with me almost on a weekly basis and Merrill was the one that drilled that thought process into me and if you've heard Merrill Reese, Merrill Reese is incredibly descriptive in his calls but he's not working fast, he's not trying to chase the game, he's not trying to do a lot of those different things, he's just very composed until the Eagles score a touchdown Um, (laughs) and that was such a great teaching tool and then to go Okay, but am I really doing this right? I mean, granted, to have Merrill Reese—that's that's some really good, you know, feedback. But to have so many people, um, guys in the Philadelphia area that I've been so fortunate to work with—I've um, had Matt Martucci listen to my demos, Brian Seltzer, Chris Carino with the Brooklyn Nets, who I work with at Compass. Uh, Michelle Salvatore, the general manager of Compass. I just dropped like four names there. That was impressive. Um, but I've been so fortunate uh, to have experiences with all of them and hearing my demos and telling me different things to work on. I'll give you guys a great example. Um, in, I had Michelle Salvatore listen to my demo about this time last year. And she told me, you're really good. You know, you get radio. Everything's in, you got all that. You need to work on your breathing. You're not coming from your diaphragm. So it sounds like everything you're saying is not only coming from your throat, but you're also running out of breath quicker than necessarily you should be. So it's affecting your pattern. Here I'm thinking I'm close because I'm fortunate enough to have been able to work in the NBA G League and still do that doing college football, college basketball, you know, I'm thinking like, all right, this thing's working out pretty well. And then to kind of have Michelle shake my trees like that and go, yeah, but now you got to take vocal lessons. And now you've got to learn to quite literally breathe in a completely different fashion. Like, oh, okay, here we go. Um, But I've been uh, on YouTube a lot, you know, doing diaphragm breathing exercises and I've been seeing a vocal coach and, you know, it's more of a singing coach. Uh, and Joe has had the unfortunate experience of being on long road trips with me and hearing me sing far more frequently than I should. Um, but having to go through all of those different things and doing different lessons, because again, we're so focused on that performance aspect. We don't think like, Oh, how am I breathing? Is this allowing me to do this right? Um, And to, again, I have the incredibly fortunate, you know, area to be able to keep going through those ongoing master's classes. Um, I am dropping names left and right. I really don't mean to be doing this intentionally. Um, But with the Delaware Bluecoats, I worked with Jeff Arnold, who just finished his first year as the play-by-play announcer for the Baltimore Orioles. And Jeff, I love Jeff. Jeff is such a good dude, but man, Jeff is also tough and honest And Jeff will tell you, you got to work on this. You got to work on that. Like, I'm a bigger guy. I've been told by some people, hey, you know, if you want to be on camera and look good, you should probably think about losing some weight. That'll help you with your breath control as
0: well. There's so many different aspects that go into it. It's funny, though, and probably not even listening to our previous episode in terms of broadcasting bad habits. I think you knocked out, like, five of them, so (laughs) um, Things that you can work on the breathing. We talked about the breathing last week and how you can rectify that on your own. The running on quick words, quick jabs, left, right, and center, highlights, focusing too much on calls. So, thank you for validating things that we talked about last week. One of the things that we were talking about before we brought you on as well, and I'm curious to hear kind of your take on this sort of thing because we've already really knocked to the point that you've called games at a huge range, whether it is professional sports and also remember you doing professional indoor football as well so you it's not that you're just one level you've done a number of different sports but you also have done youth we're talking about how even though these games may seem like a bit of a drop off when you've done things at the highest level and all of a sudden you're working a youth game or a high school game and if you're a talented broadcaster in your own mind you're thinking well this is I'm just doing this for the money or just doing it for another rep that I may or may not need, but how those games may truly come back to really help your career and also make some memory. So I'm curious for your perspective, how much, or how quickly did that kind of trigger in to know that, yeah, it doesn't matter if I'm calling a high school baseball game or professional basketball game, I got to be there no matter what.
2: You never know who is listening. And I know that sounds so stereotypical, but you truly never know who's listening. I called Steiner Baseball for WBCB for a couple of years. They're playing Allentown. And Allentown has a third baseman by the name of Tommy McCarthy. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Never really thought much about it. Until I get a Twitter notification from Tom McCarthy. And saying, hey, you're doing really good on this. You should work on this. This sounds really good. What have you? Oh, wait, Tom McCarthy is listening to this. Okay, cool. Um, You just never, ever know who's watching. And you never know when you're going to have perhaps that viral moment. I was calling a game. I wish I could remember who it was now. Malvern Prep. Uh, Keith McGuire made this unbelievable leaping one-handed catch in the back corner of the end zone. And I just called it like I would call any normal touchdown. You know, I'm, I'm a kind of upbeat play-by-play announcer. I work with some excitement and what have you. I woke up the next morning and the call was on ESPN and had over 300,000 views on the max prep Twitter account. Imagine if I would have had a crap attitude going into that game. And that's the largest amount of exposure that I've had. It's doing a high school football game. Imagine if I hadn't done the prep. So I'm half paying attention and I misidentify the guy who caught the football. Or I don't have him being scouted at the time and ultimately ending up at Clemson. Or the fact that he was such a big deal. If I was like, man, I've done professional basketball. I'm just here to collect a paycheck. By far the clip where the people have heard me most, I'm completely ill prepared for.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's almost exactly kind of the points we were making early on. It was just a lot of the times, especially when you're talking about some very small college stuff, you're going to get far bigger audiences just listening to the game on the high school side of things. Sure. Because sure. People, a lot of people care. Like I, my first jobs were at some division three colleges where I knew there were six people listening and they were all parents of players that weren't physically there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and then you could do a high school game where there's 5,000 people watching live on YouTube and you would, you would think that the college basketball or whatever is what you would care more about, but really you can't care more about one game or another.
2: Well, we're all scared of the comment section and Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. No. Be scared of that dude's mom. Because if you mess something up there, she's going to come at you harder than anyone else. Or the parents, the grandparents, what have you. So, yeah, you are doing a show for what may or may not end up being a bigger audience. But think about the passion that people carry about their high schools, about their alma maters. I was just joking around, God, I keep name dropping. I'm sorry, I don't mean to do this. <laughs> I was joking around with Ari Bluestein, who, uh, who runs the SFBN the other day and they had a, a Bristol game on. And I just text them, I'm like, how do you have the Bristol game on and not let me do it? I'm, I went to Bristol, you know? Um, but that's, I mean, I graduated in 2005. I still follow Bristol football every year. I think it's awesome. Um, so you really have that, you know, passionate niche and that really passionate bunch that care about their alma mater, or you know, the the ones who care about you know their children. Uh, so you want to make sure you get those stories right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh,
0: the end uh, of this, oops. by the way. Sorry to cut you off, Joe, but um, we're definitely going to have a tracker of the amount of name drops, and uh, we're going oh, so go to. figure out so bad, man. At the end of this, <laughs> yeah. but we appreciate the fact that you have made the connections because of course, at the end of the day, if you're talking to the right people, you'll get the opportunities.
2: And that's, I feel so bad about doing that, but I honestly don't mean to. I've just been really lucky to to cultivate some really great relationships. And the other thing, you wanna talk about the mistakes that broadcasters can make. Joe, I'm sure you get a lot of emails at this point. JJ, I'm sure you do too. There is nothing worse than when someone reaches out to you and they are clearly just trying to make a contact. Not have any actual genuine human interaction, not be your buddy, just, hey, how can you help me? Got no time for you. Now, if you wanna reach out, again, have a genuine conversation. Hey, you know, hope you're doing well, whatever. I would love for you to listen to this. Like I got all the time in the world for helping young broadcasters because i got so much help when I was younger too. But there was also a genuineness about it. I really, it bugs me when people come at you with the perspective of how can you help me. A um, Couple of years ago, when, when Joe joined Westchester University, the first round of cuts that I made was anyone who emailed me and said, I think this job could help me because. No time for you, because this isn't about you. It's about our audience. How are you gonna make our broadcast better? How are you gonna make our team better? How are you gonna make the show better? If you're walking in with a narrow, self-minded view, whether it's reaching out to someone to say hello, whether it's reaching out for a job, anything of that nature, Be kind and be genuine. The best advice I ever got was be nice to everyone you meet. The worst possible outcome is you make a new friend. Don't email people and reach out and say, oh, how can you help me? That drives me nuts. But I was gonna
1: say, I mean, you've talked about the spotting that you do with Compass and and with Chris Carino, doing basketball in the G League, and then, you know, you're at these NFL games and you see how NFL guys go about their business. You're at the G League. You see how pro basketball guys go about their business. And then you go back to Westchester or you do a Malvern prep game. How much does what you have, so- have soaked in, in the G League, in the NFL, how much has that influenced the way that you've changed how you approach a Westchester game
2: or a high school game? One massive influence that I got, and I dearly, dearly love this. And I didn't know it at the time that you and I were working together, Joe. I picked this up over working a a television game. I think a lot of times announcers almost over prep. Yes, there's no such thing as over prepping, but when you overload your prep sheets, you can't find anything. So I think that organization of it is really, really important. Um, But one of the things that I saw. Uh, Another play by play announcer, do that. I'm not adding to your counter anymore, so I'm not going to name drop them. Was (laughs) made a storyline sheet and wrote down about 10 to 12 storylines of that particular game. And as we talked about them, crossed them off the list. And I thought, wow, what a great way to not only stay organized, but to make sure you're not doubling back and saying the same things over and over and over again. Uh, so i really loved that particular thought process and how he did uh, his prep. And I think prep, yes, it, it's like by far, please don't misinterpret. Prep is by far the most important thing. Actually, I take that back. Useful prep is the most important thing. And it's a lot easier to find useful prep in college football and in the G League than it is in high school. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You still got to put that work in. You still have to talk to to coaches, to players, to athletic directors, to anyone that will give you the time to try and find that useful prep. Because the useful prep makes a lot better stories than the fact that their grandmother was a basket weaving major. You know what I mean? And those, that, that useful prep and that good information, it's, it's what we're all after. And it's out there at the lower levels too. I, I always thought it was kind of crazy when I heard someone say, the, the more you move up, the easier it becomes almost. And while to a certain extent that is true from, you know, the, the prep and things of that nature, a lot of that's about your attitude too. So you got to keep that same work ethic, whether you're working pro football, indoor football, NBA, G League, or whether you're working a Bristol game in front of 75
0: people. Love it. Mike, we're going to end this one here, but we appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. And uh, I know you're just on Instagram, but where can people find you there? Uh, the best way to find me is on Instagram at msamsel87. Uh,
2: I'm not really on Twitter or Facebook anymore. They're just constant barrages of, of negativity. Uh, and it it that's kind of a shame, you know, that that always kind of bums me out. Um, but I'm probably going to do something insane here. But honestly, if anyone wants to reach out to me, msamsell 87 at gmail.com too. I really, I, I have been so fortunate in this business and so many people have been so giving of their time that that's important to me as well. So, Anyone listening to this who has questions or just wants to say hello or wants to say, wow, you name drop a lot of people. You're really obnoxious. <laughs> Feel free to email me. Uh, msamsal87 at gmail.com. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, Mike Samsel, or uh, at uh, Instagram at msamsel 87
0: Love it. And you can find that shout along with all these shouts. Uh, we're on social media at the VFTB underscore pod on Twitter. At views from the booth underscore pod on Instagram, Facebook views from the booth podcast, G- uh, gmail, views from the booth pod at gmail.com. Joe's on social at Joe Vasile PvP on Twitter, Joe Vasile on Instagram. I'm at JJ Duke21 on Twitter, jjduke 21 on Instagram. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Views from the Booth Podcast. If you want to catch up on any of our past episodes, you can find us everywhere where you get your podcasts. See you all next time.